All right, well, everybody, welcome to Studio B, our bi-weekly podcast. Thank you so very much for joining us again here on the set of Studio B. Um, today, I have a very special guest in the building today, Pastor Eric Anderson, Senior Pastor of Global Outreach Community Church. Uh, I love churches that have global in their name, so you know that's, that's where we connect. And then uh, Pastor Eric is also the... International Advancement Coordinator for Texas Connecting to Latin America North with FCA, and that's Fellowship of Christian Athletes, um, a longstanding organization that many are familiar with. But thank you very much for joining us here on the set of Studio B. How you doing today, brother? I'm good, Pastor. Thank you for extending the invitation to me. And then you gave me this big old long title. Hey, all I do is connect people and resources in Texas to people and projects in Latin America. Now, see, look at that. See? Okay, so let me just forewarn the, the, the viewers today that we got two pastors on the set, so it's going to be uh, a biblically-based um, topic of discussion. And, man, I'm excited to have you um, in the house today because today I want to talk about spiritual empathy and the role of the church, yeah. um, especially in today's environment of what's going on. Um, let me just kind of set this up from a 30,000-foot view. I believe that the church is in a prime opportunity um, especially given today's events, the climate of the day, the political stuff we got going on, the social unrest, the riots, all of this stuff that's going on in the land right now. I believe the church right now is in a prime opportunity uh, given to us by God, a platform that we could use to speak into the world um, in regards to these particular events. Um, but I do believe that we are missing the mark in so many different areas. There is a a sense of apathy yes. um, that is in the land right now, especially in regards to spiritual things. And, and even in so much uh, as the church, you know, Jesus said that you are the salt and the light of the church. I mean, the salt and light of the world. And so we have a mandate given to us by God. But let me get your perspective on the overall <laughs> happenings of our world. So here's where I have to be careful. Two pastors. We can easily start preaching because <laughs> that's what we do. I mean, we can wake up and come up with a sermon. But, uh, you know, I am uh, I want to be very honest and transparent. I am filled with mixed emotions, mm -hmm. uh, sadness, um, vexed. I grieve over certain things. And yet I still have hope mm. because I know Jesus is still on the throne. He will never be up for re-election. Amen. He will never vacate his seat. Amen. He will always be in control. And I love it this way. I heard a pastor say, Jesus is peace in the pandemic. Mm. So I do know that, but I'm still watching the destruction within the body of Christ. I'm watching people hold firm to their political affiliation mm. more than they do to Jesus. Yeah, yeah. I'm watching people put God and their political platform mm. on the same alignment. No, sir. Mm. It's God above everything. Yeah. So we, we have COVID-19. We have social injustice, however you define that. We have our own personal plights, stresses that we're dealing with. Then you have the financial structure or industry. Some believe it's on the increase. Some believe it's on the decline. So you almost have this perfect storm. Mm -hmm. And I always ask myself, where are the shepherds in the midst of this? And where is the body of Christ? 
are we taking sides on political platforms? Yeah. Or do we remain in the middle and hold fast to Jesus in biblical truth? So, so Pastor Eric, let, 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 let's go there for a second because that is an excellent segue. Um, you say God over everything. Um, that's more in theory for a lot of people yes. than in practice. Yeah. Uh, we are in a polarizing day right now where political issues are separating the room more than Jesus. And so while we understand as Christians, now we're talking to a particular group of people, that we as Christians are to put our faith and biblical beliefs above everything. Everything. And that's how we govern our decisions. However, we're living in a world right now that is very, very, very polarizing. And the world is even forcing you to, to pick a side. And so as you're looking at how we are incorporating our faith, or lack thereof, in this current culture right now, what are some practical ways that you can do that? So for me, I'm going to speak personally first. I've had to learn how to guard my heart because it's easy to allow the things on the outside to enter the inside. And now you are just filled with stress, anxiety. Mm. You're up, you're down. You are full of emotions. And then you get on social media. Yeah. And <laughs> instead of having a gauge yeah. over your mind and yeah. over your spirit, somebody posts something, you upset. <laughs> somebody posts something, oh, I love that. Yeah. And then the next day, LeBron James says something, oh, I can't stand LeBron. <laughs> The next day, he scores 32 points. Oh, I love LeBron. Yeah. So for me personally, I've started to put a gauge over my heart. I'm limiting the news outlets into my life. Yeah. I am limiting so, show, uh, social media now because I know me. And the key is you got to know yourself. Mm -hmm. If you don't know yourself and start with who you are, you will be drugged, so to speak, or you will be tethered to anything that comes on. And I'm very careful now because I've, I've realized I've gone into some meetings in the workplace with the wrong attitude. Mm -hmm. Why? Because I was not led by biblical principles and truth. I was led by what I was seeing happening Absolutely. in the world. Absolutely. So I'm, I'm very honest with myself. So I would say, you know, going back to biblical foundations found in the word of God and how are you governing your own personal heart? I, uh, I posted something on social media. I did take it for somebody else. We're always borrowing things. Mm -hmm. When you post it twice, it becomes yours. You're the author of it. So it, it's a caption, and it has a heart on it. And it says, if you don't start here, then it's an arrow that go to, go to uh, someone's home. Starts in the heart, then the home, before you reach the globe. Mm. It has to start in your own personal heart. And then you teach, train biblically at home before we can reach outside the home. So when we're looking at the framework or the mandate from God, um, it, it's almost to the degree to where you're constantly bombarded so much as you turn on the TV, bad news is in your face. As you said, when you go on social media, bad news is in your face. You talk to friends and associates, bad news is in your face. And it's almost like we are starved to death for good news, where good news is becoming so scarce. And, and I believe this is an attack of the enemy. You know, the Bible talks about in Ephesians chapter number six that we're not unaware of the wiles of the devil. Yes. And one of the ways that the devil discourages us is this constant barrage of, of, of bad news. And so when you're looking at the essential role of the church today in modern society, 
Um, I was having a conversation with a friend of mine a couple of days ago, and we got into somewhat of a disagreement because he is saying that the church role is changing um, as the times are changing. And, and I have to push back on that a little bit because our role is going to be the same from my inception until God takes us home. Now, the, 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 the means is the, is the same, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Correct. Now, the method of how we communicate that message um, may change over time, but the essential role of the church never changes. And so as you're looking at how the church and the role that we play right now in modern society, what would that look like? So for me, methods change principles remain the same. Mm -hmm. So we can change our methods of how the church reaches the community and the country, but we got to hold fast to biblical principles. I wrote this down. I was reading this article uh, last night, and it was on changing culture with a never-changing gospel, that the culture changes, but the gospel remains the same. And we have to be biblically faithful, contextually appropriate, why change it while changing some of our methods of reaching the country as well as the community. So if we don't remain accurate according to biblical principles, pastor, we're going to miss it. And it's so easy to be swayed either way because it's not as bad as we make it seem. Mm-hmm. So let me say it this way. <clears throat> I remember uh, traveling in Guatemala City. I'm walking through the airport. I have, have uh, bags full of equipment. So everybody there is looking at me. So I said, okay, I know I'm, I'm kind of a, a muscular guy at that time. Okay, I think I'm in shape. Hopefully I look handsome. So I'm, I'm building myself up in my mind. I get through customs. Um, they hold me for about 30 minutes. My Spanish was awful at the time, so I'm using all these apps. I walk out the airport. Everybody's watching me. So finally, after three days, I ask one of my counterparts, hey, I noticed for three days everybody was watching me. What's going on? Well, hermano... I want to be honest with you. I said, what? He said, um, you're not what they see on TV. Mm-hmm. I said, what do you mean? He said, um, don't get offended. When we see Negroes, black guys, they got like gold in their mouth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> they have on chains. Yeah. And um, they don't speak English like you. And I said, English like me? I said, oh, grammar. No, it's, it's jacked up. I said, what do you see that? Oh, from TV. Mm. And they were getting all of their information and making a judgment of who we are as a people mm-hmm. in an ethnic group based off of what they saw on TV. And if we don't realize that the media has an agenda, mm-hmm. and we got to be real about that, mm-hmm. good news, uh, let me ask you this question. <laughs> does good news sell? No, it does not. No, <laughs> it does it's not. It's bad news that That's sell, right. and people love it. I've been guilty of it. Like, ooh. Let me follow that story. Oh, she did that? Yeah. So it's the bad news that continues to travel. And I believe uh, this country is not as racist as we make it out to be. Mm-hmm. Is racism prevalent? Yes. Mm-hmm. Is bigotry still here? Yeah. Now, I may get some thumbs down when I say all no, this. No, no, no. Well, not for, <laughs> let me tell you. I'm we telling talk. you, yes. Is every cop bad? No. Come on now. You know, is every black guy a thug? No. Come on now. Dude, I mean, all that stuff, and we just allow that to get into our spirit, and now it taints our outlook of the church and the world, and we got to be very careful about that. So now this is what I love about Studio B, because God is over this thing, and God takes it in the way in which he wants it to go. Let me tell you, uh, Jeremiah 17 and 9 says that the heart is deceitfully wicked above all things. People love train wrecks. Yes. 
They love train wrecks. If you've ever watched, if you've ever seen a, a car accident on the road and you see people kind of gradually moving past it, they're not moving past it and looking at that at that car wreck to see how they can help. They've seen a car wreck. Yes. Uh, they love train wrecks. They love badness, right? And so they're, they're looking to see if they can see some mangled up this and mangled up that. When you're talking about the world, I believe that the church right now, the church which we preach the gospel, which is the good news. Mm -hmm. We are a good news organization. Oh, we should be. We should be. <laughs> we should be. Now, when I sit there and tell people, man, listen, we have not crossed over the, the proverbial line and we can't skip down the road singing, you know, kumbaya, but we have made traumatic inroads in regards to race relations in America. But this idea that we are so socially oppressed and that we can't do anything without the master giving us permission is absolutely ridiculous. I was just talking to my mom yesterday and we had an hour long conversation. Many on Studio B have heard my testimony about my mom. She had me when she was 16 years old. She went back to school, she got her uh, diploma, went on to graduate the University of Houston, rose up the uh, corporate ladder. She did tremendously well in her life. And as I was talking to her yesterday, she says, baby, she said, this idea that people think that racism is as bad as it was when I was a kid is crazy. Crazy. It's crazy. Yes. Now, to your point, Pastor, have we arrived? No. Mm -mm. Is it still in the fabric of America? Yes. Do we still have to deal with it? Absolutely. But hear this. I know several good cops. I mean, good cops. My next door neighbor. Come on. <laughs> yes. We got deacons. We yes. got pastors here at the church that are law enforcement. So when we push back on that idea of trying to share good news in spite of all this bad news, we're looked at as, as a friend told me, see, there you go with that whole Christian stuff again. Or, <laughs> let's be real. Now, we may get in trouble today. When you refute that, a couple of things happen. Oh, you know, you just cooning for the there man. There you go. Cooning. <laughs> I'm cooning. <laughs> or, uh, you a Uncle Tom. Bro, you may want to research Uncle Tom. You might want to research that. <laughs> you might want to research that. Do you mean Sambo? Come on. Yeah, that's what I think you want. You're trying to call me Sambo. That's what you're Yeah, because Uncle Tom is not who you think that's he is. Right. Come on now. <laughs> and we're laughing and making light of this, but it's true. It's not as bad as my father's generation, my father is 75. My grandmother, bless her heart, passed away four years ago. So I think she would have been 104 if she would still be living. My goodness. I used to love going as just granny. Granny, can I just come over? We would just sit and just talk. She would tell me about uh, the Great Depression, World War II, segregation, racism. Wow. She seen it all. Wow. And she would say, baby, we comes a long way. You know, wow. they didn't have good grandma. <laughs> yeah. But I just, yes, man, we comes. I go yeah. right along with her. <laughs> yes, we comes a long way. Baby, I remember a time we could just leave the door unlocked. Mm. No, grandma, you can't do that. Go lock the door right now. Yeah. Because she still stayed in the inner city. But she seen it all, and that was a reminder for me of God's faithfulness, mm -hmm. that he took care of my grandmother through the Great Depression, World War II, segregation. She seen it all, and she could still stand and say, hey, God is still good. Don't you ever give up on God. Mm -hmm. Place your faith in God. You know mm -hmm. all the old colloquialisms of the old church. Um, he would never run out on you. He's too good to fail. And I didn't understand everything she was saying. But now that I am an older man with a family, I get it. Yeah. So it's not as bad as it seems. 
there are still problems. So I think this comes back to our question. The church, I never forget Dr. S.J. Gibbard Sr. said this in my expository preaching class. He said, the church should be the headlights of the community, not the taillights. Mm. That's the problem. Yeah. We're not the headlights. Yeah. We're the taillights. Yeah. We're not leading out. We're not leading up. That's the problem with the church is that God is calling us in three areas. One, it would be the ministry of worship, worshiping him. So that has to be the vertical alignment. Two, the ministry of edifying believers. We're building up believers within the kingdom to allow the believers to move outside the walls of the church. Hmm. You and I are the church. This is just a building. Yeah. And that's why it bothers me. I'm getting passionate now. When people say the church is closed, no, bro, we still open. We're just online. Yeah. Church has never been closed because we are the church. So it's the ministry of worshiping God, the ministry of edifying the people, but then the ministry of equipping people to do the work. The problem is it's almost like a, uh, a football game. Here's the problem. We got 11 men on the field. But the spectators in the stands, go, go. But the men on the field are tired. They need a break. And every now and then, they just wish that some of the spectators would join the game. Mm. That's the church. We got all the professional pastors and the shepherds. We're in the field. We're playing. But every now and then. You get tired. We get tired. And we're inviting the spectators, hey, come join the game. Maybe you are not as equipped as I am, but we have trainers. We have coaches. We want to equip you to do the work of the ministry, Ephesians chapter 4. And the problem is pastors and leaders are doing all the work, and now they're quitting. Yeah. They're burnt out. Yeah. They're getting divorced. They're having multiple affairs. Let's just keep it real yeah, today. Yeah, yeah. Why? Because a lot of it is stress. So now we have 20% of the people doing 80% of the work, and God never designed the church to do that. So when you talk about your grandmother, um, you know, I think that there is I think there is such value in sitting at the feet of our older generation and, and woe to the person that does not have an older person in their life that they can glean from. Uh, I think about conversations with my grandmother all the time, but she brought up something so very important, which is a part of our conversation today is how God was such an integral part of their lives. And now God, for the most part, and I'm not going to say for the most part, uh, I think that's too broad of a statement. But the emphasis of God has been weaning for quite some time where we have taken the God who took care of your grandmother, my mm-hmm. grandmother, uh, way back to the to the fields or the cotton fields. Right. And he was faithful back then. We are now so apathetic to the things of God. One of the most scariest scriptures, I believe, in all of the Bible is in the book of Judges, chapter number 17, when the Bible says that Samson went to shake himself. Oh, I just preached on this Sunday. But he did not realize. <laughs> yes. He did not realize that the spirit of the Lord had departed. Him. Yes. I want you to, I mean, if those who are watching, if you can understand the gravitas of that statement, oh that God. this man would just wake up and shake himself as normal and all things would kind of be as they were. But one day he shook himself the same way that he did before. And he didn't even realize, he didn't even realize that God had left him. And I think that it's so appropriate that we have so many people out here doing X, Y, and Z, but God's not in it. God is not in division. God is not, listen, please hear this, everybody. God is not Democrat. He's not Republican. 
Mm. He's not eating. He's, he's not a donkey. He's not an elephant. Neither. He's neither. Neither. We don't understand this idea of a sovereign God that controls absolutely everything. So when you, to your point about your grandmother and God, I believe that's one of the things that we have to be able to get back to. I want to be able to govern my life, my family's life, which is where it starts, by the principles of the word of God. I don't want to be like Samson. I don't want to get so familiar with coming to church and so familiar with singing songs and so familiar with the church lingo and language that I don't realize that God is left. Yes. Yeah. Here's what I can love about God. I appreciate about God. So I just preached this message on Samson. It was uh, standing tall when tempted. So he was flawed, sin. He slept with a prostitute. He was supposed to be the deliverer of the children of Israel out of the hands of the Philistines. God had already pronounced that to his mother and his father. So it didn't matter what he did in between, God was still going to use him. The issue was his flaws overtook him. Mm-hmm. But I love, I think it was uh, chapter 14, when he was going to get a, a woman out of the uh, Philistines camp, his mother and father didn't understand, but the Bible said God was using this as an occasion against the Philistines. So even though he had this sin issue and this flaw, flawedness, God was still going to use this as a occasion to deliver his people out of the hands of the Philistines. So I can go so many places with that because we're seeing leaders that are falling within the church. God can still use them. But they can be just like Samson at the end of his life. Mm. Because of their flawedness, Samson lost his life. And because of the flawedness of our leaders now, we can do all of these mighty exploits. And we can come to the church and preach a great message. And the people get saved. And we lose our own life. Because mm-hmm. God's still going to get his message out. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where we've got to be careful as a church. That we are not afraid to preach the Bible. Yeah. So here's where the church has lost its power. You come to church any given Sunday. Let me give you three steps to a turnaround. Let me give you 10 ways to win your family back. Hey, bro, just preach the Bible. Mm -hmm. Stop coming up with all these great themes. And people have lost their value for biblical truth. It's almost like they want to go to a candy store and get all the candy. The candy is not good for you because eventually that candy will rot in your teeth. Every now and then, you need some steak to chew on. Mm -hmm. Just chew on. And I used to hate it when my pastor would preach those rough sermons. And he says, son, you're going to get it when you start pastoring. Everything can be good. Absolutely. Every Every time you show up and people are just clapping and excited to see you, he said, man, you're not preaching the whole truth. Every now and then when they leave, they need to be mad at you. Absolutely. <laughs> they need to be upset. They need to not want to see your face for the next Sunday. He said, then you're standing on the word of God. So I think that's where the, the church has lost its power. We want to preach messages that tickle the ear of the believer. Well, in this season, I'm not asking you give me three steps to a turnaround. I need to know what thus says the Lord in this season. Man, my house is falling apart. Give me a word. My finances is falling apart. I need to know a word. My marriage is falling apart. Give me a word. My daughter just left. Give me a word. My children are contemplating suicide. Give me a word. Man, I am in arguments with friends that I've had friendships with for over 30 years, and we are Falling apart. I need a word from God. Don't tell me about money. Don't tell me about prosperity. Give me some hope yeah. that's found in the word. So now, Pastor, 
the the unchanging message of the Christian faith, uh, Hebrews thirteen, is that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Unchanging. Um, the one message that John preached over and over. You're talking about a bland preacher. Uh, repent for the kingdom of God is near. Who wants to hear that? That's that's <laughs> that. That was every single sermon. Every sermon. Um, the kickback and the pushback to Jesus is the answer um, is sometimes vile. Um, when you're talking about the problems of the world, especially when we talked about racism before, uh, just a little news for everybody. Racism is going to be here until Jesus comes until back. Until he comes back. Uh, that's a heart issue. Yes. And, and politics can't change the heart. Uh, that's a Jesus issue. But when we lift up the Savior as him being the only hope for humanity and its problems, no matter what problem you may put on the table, Jesus is the answer for that. Okay, well, that that type of viewpoint is oftentimes pushed back because people can't put their hands on Jesus. Right. They can't they can't touch him. They can't see him. They can't smell him. Um, but when we're talking about the role of the church right now, and as we was talking about just a little um, a while ago, there is a leadership vacuum right now in our world. Um, but I believe that that leadership vacuum, please hear me, does not start at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. Mm. That leadership starts in your home. Boom. If you're not being a leader to your wife and to your children, if you're not being a leader in your community, amongst your family, on your job, man, that leadership doesn't start in Washington, D.C. That's low-hanging fruit. That's low the hanging. easy thing. Yes. But when I have to judge myself to say, man, okay, well, I've missed the mark here. Haven't done so well over here. Man, could have done a whole lot better right there. That's a whole different conversation to have. And so Paul writes it like this. He says, each man must examine himself. And Pastor, let me tell you something. The examination hurts. And we hate to do the self-examination. Uh, my wife and I, we were talking about weight loss and all this other stuff. <clears throat> so she said, you can just gain weight and lose weight quickly. Why? I said, because I don't have a problem getting in the mirror and saying, boy, you're overweight. <laughs> I said, all I got to do is just get you know, a pair of jeans and, and I know how they fit. I know what I want. And I said, but the hardest thing is looking myself in the mirror and say, man, you gained 20 pounds. Mm. And so the applied discipline that I gained for playing sports, I'll just take it for two, three weeks, boom, drop 10 pounds. That's not always easy, but it calls for discipline. Mm -hmm. We don't like to examine ourselves. Mm. It's the same way spiritually. Yeah. So the responsibility of discipling your home is not your pastor's responsibility. Come on, talk to me. But that's what we want, the consumer nah, that's church. that's the pastor's fault. <laughs> no, nah, that's what the pastor's supposed to do. Uh, growing up, I watched this, uh, and I may get it wrong, this movie where they had this uh, plant in an uh, alien life form um, took over the plant. And the plant would always say, feed me, Seymour, feed me. <laughs> A little shop of horrors. Yeah, that's it. It's almost like that's the church, right? We come, and the people in the pews are like the plant. Feed me, pastor, <laughs> feed me. We want the pastor to do all the feeding. When do you go home and pick up the knife and fork for yourself hmm. and feed yourself? So it takes the responsibility of the man in the home, if there's a man, to start governing, guiding, and leading his family. Now stop right there. Let's talk about the man. Okay. <laughs> Let's talk about the man. In 1962, um, the single parent household percentage was right at 20%. In 1962. 
in the height of civil rights and the height of all this stuff that was going on, the rate of single parent households was at 62 percent. In 2020, 74 percent of all new births in the black community are to out of wedlock mothers, single parent households. When there is no man in the house, um, when there's no authority figure in the house, then there's no standard. Now, please hear me. I was raised by a single mother. And, and they do a phenomenal uh, job. Listen, my mama did, and that's my mama. I yes. listen. Yeah. That's my mama, and I love her and, until, uh, until God calls her home. That is my heartbeat. Right. And as good as my mom did as a single mother working two jobs, sometimes three, in order to put food on the table, there were certain things that she could not do for me as a single mother. And that void in the home, please hear this, I felt it. Yep. I felt it. Yep. Now, praise God, my mom you know, did what she had to do. I didn't have a one in my life. When you're talking about the absence of leadership and talking about the absence of the male in the home, we are seeing far-reaching implications of that right now, especially as pastors when we have to deal with counseling and uh, young boys and young mothers and things of that nature. Um, it is an issue that is worth our attention. It is. Um, and it is something that is deprecating our communities. And so when you're looking at how God looks at this, um, in Genesis when he said that it is not good for man to be alone, I will make him a helper comparable to him. And then he brought Eve to him. Those two formed the first of God's family, two cooperating people operating in unison to accomplish God's will. But when you take one of those participating parties out, it not only it, it not only separates what the what can happen in unison, but it puts a lot of weight on the other one. And oftentimes to the point to where they never ask for that kind of weight to be placed upon their shoulders. So when you're looking at this absence of leadership in the world today, I think it is, it is imperative for us to look inside our own homes. And I, I, I know it sounds like, um, you know, kind of a pie in the sky, but I believe if we would focus attention um, to our homes, to our families, to our children, to our communities, and we would better those relationships, that is going to extend into communities, to states, to governments, and to ultimately the world. As I give you this, one of the things that I absolutely love is when I go to Kenya, um, and we'll talk about this a little bit more in depth, um, I see people in the Masamari that are living in what's called minyatas, mm-hmm. right? Um, these are huts that are made out of cow dung, okay? And we see them with literally nothing. But the family dynamic is intact. The family dynamic. Now, living in a house made of cow dung, but you see the mother and the kids and the fathers are interacting socially with literally nothing. But the houses and the value and the love that is in those homes, and I watch this, I witness it personally, it is something to be envied. Yes. <laughs> because you see that family dynamic working um, in such an integral way. So when you're looking at this leadership role and you're looking at the vacuum that we have in the world, uh, where do you place a lot of that emphasis at? So let me back into your question this way. Again, um, I serve all of Latin America from Mexico to Nicaragua, Panama, those 11 countries, including Dominican Republic and Cuba. And as I'm traveling, I do see that. I see that they have less trappings and entanglement in terms of homes, commodities, cash, clothes, but they have more joy. Mm. 
they have more peace. And that confused me the first couple yeah, come trips. On. Yeah. I'm like, wait a minute. <laughs> she is bathing her son in the bottom of this ravine. I'm looking at this mountain at a church, and I look down there, there's chickens, cows, yeah. poop, <laughs> yeah. dirty water, and they're playing, and they're bathing and washing clothes, and they come right back up. And I said, there's no way to clothes clean. But it didn't matter to them. Mm. So, But I'm in Guatemala, and we, we work with MS-13. And I'm not as fearful of those gang members as some people are because when they see us come to their barrios, they see us coming in with blessings. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Oh, missionary, come, come. Yeah. And they will ask you for money. Just say, no, nah, nada. They, okay, you come in. So we're in one of the, uh, the hoods, and one of the uh, gang members said this. He said, hey, I'm going to help you guys out. How old do you start discipling these kids? We said, oh, seven, eight. He said, that's too late. Mm. We disciple them at five and six. By six, we've already placed a gun in their hand. Wow. You know why? Because in some of these communities, there's no father. Mm. And these kids are starving for male leadership. They are starving for some male to walk alongside them and let them know, hey, I know it's hard right now in your hood, but you can't make it. They give them bigger goals and bigger dreams. So let's come to the U.S. We need that same type of male leadership in the home. And I want to talk about our ethnic group. I love everybody, but there is a gap in the African-American home yeah. in terms of male leadership. Yeah. Uh, two months ago, I'm in Walmart. It broke my heart, but it also made me upset. I'm checking out. My mother's in the hospital. I'm buying all the, uh, her medications. I'm heading out the door, and there is a young African-American man walking, but he can't walk because he's holding his pants. And he's holding it all the way down to his knees. You can see his boxers. So there are two women behind them, and you know what they're doing? They're looking at him, but they're looking at me. Mm. They look at him again, and they look at me. And I want to say, that ain't my child. <laughs> <laughs> but they kept looking, and what they were yeah. saying was, yeah. oh, are you going to say something? Yeah. No. Yeah. Not that I didn't care, but I've been in the mall before and said something, and the guys rose up on me. And I had to make a decision either to back down or engage knowing I had my daughter. Mm. So even in Walmart, I looked, and I got in the car, and that broke my heart. Where is a man in his life to say, son, there's a better way. Pull your britches up, as grandma would say. Mm -hmm. A week later, and I got to make sure I keep this clean. I'm in the same Walmart buying additional meds for my mother. I walk out, and there is a young lady with what seems to look like a bikini on in Walmart. And pastor, I'm going to keep it clean. But she had revealed so much. There was nothing left to the imagination. Mm. And I'm asking myself, now where's a mother? Man, where's a father? Yeah. There is a absentee of fathers in the black community. We are in prison. We're out on the streets. We won't come to church because most of the church is made up of women. That's Praise right. God for That's women. Right. That's right. They're going right. to bring them old bad kids to That's church. Right. That's right. <laughs> I, I seen a young lady. She may see this. I was preaching, and her uh, her child was acting up. I saw her start spanking her child. I was like, oh, my God, not in church. <laughs> but I finished the message. But that that uh, indicated a lot to me. She cared so much that she brought her son. He was going to sit there, and he wasn't going to misbehave in the church. So when you're looking at this, and I think we can even take this, uh, matter of fact, uh, to, to Dominique and Steve, we're going we're gonna to do a separate podcast on this. Um, but I think this is worth uh, exploring because I believe you can trace a lot of the social ills of our day 
back to that place. Um, there was a grandmother on the news just the other day where she saw her son rioting in Portland, I think I saw it was. that, yes. She turned him in. She called and turned him in. Now watch this. The grandmother said, I knew that was my grandchild by the back of his head. Because ain't, ain't nobody got a head like my grandchild. <laughs> she called the cops on him. Well, to save his life. Because this is what she said. I taught you better than that. Yes. You know better than that. She called the cops on her own grandchild. When you're looking at the, the absence of fatherlessness, and this is a, a topic that just begs our attention that has been so... Um, um, neglected over the years, we have not put that kind of attention that it deserves on it. It absolutely makes a difference. Nobody will be able to tell me differently. When you are the father, when you are the husband, and when you are the leader of your home, it impacts generations. For sure. When you're not there, it impacts generation. So the question that we got to ask ourselves is what kind of impact are we willing to leave? Yeah. Are we going to be engaged? Are we going to do this for the better? Or are we going to continue this cycle to what we've seen already? So when you're looking at where we are right now, Pastor, 2020, um, we kind of talked about this a little bit, but um, it's almost like it's old-fashioned, if you will. Um, I, I am a family guy. Mm -hmm. uh, I believe <laughs> church members are going to leave you. Yes. Your family going to be there. Yes, sir. We have these conversations offline. Come on now. <laughs> yes. Um, don't sacrifice your family on the altar of ministry. Yeah. It's a horrible, you'll get a horrible ROI on it. Yes. The return on that investment will be horrible, and you will regret the times that you did that. Um, traditional family, and I hate to use that word traditional other than using that word traditional, the family unit um, I said this on a podcast a few weeks ago. Uh, I will go off on my kids if I see them fighting each other. Uh, that's just something that we don't have in the house. Right. And I tell them that because when you leave this house, the world is going to do that to you enough. Yes. When you come home, this is a place of peace. Yes. This house is a place of peace. So when you're looking at traditional family, when you're looking at the family unit as a whole, how do you see or what do you put the value on a traditional family? Where the Bible puts the value. Um, whenever we're doing weddings, I normally would say that God has called the man to leave his father and his mother to cleave to his wife. That word cleave in the Hebrew is just adhesive, glue. Mm -hmm. It's your job to be glue to your wife. It's not your wife's job to be glue to you. Yeah. You're to cleave, not leave. Mm. The problem is we're not cleaving, we're leaving. Mm. Any little mishap, I'm gone. Kids ain't acting right, I'm gone. The money funny, I'm gone. And if we're not gone <laughs> physically, we check out mentally. Mm. And if we don't check out mentally, we check out spiritually. Now, I'm not going to church. That man put on his pants just like me. Yeah. Y yeah, we do. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But God has just it. called me to yeah. be the shepherd of the local body of believers. No, I'm not your boss and I'm not Jesus. I am just God's mouthpiece. Hopefully I'm being accurate as it relates to uh, unpacking the word of God so that God can use you to lead your family. 
Because you better believe me, I'm not coming to your house to lead your family. Yeah, come on. That's your job. That's your job. Don't blame us. You know, yeah. pastor, no, pastor yeah. didn't do nothing. Pastor went to, I'm not going to give my address. Pastor went to his house. Yeah. <laughs> Don't give your address. <laughs> yeah. And pastor led his family. Yeah. So even now, we're doing church online. I'm probably spending more than I want to in terms of going out to eat. But every Sunday, I tell my family, after online service, we pray together. We unpack the message. Hey, what did you get out of it? I'm sitting there listening to myself preach too, and God is speaking to me. And then we go to brunch. We go to brunch. We love each other because I have one, and you've been here. This is my last year with my baby. Yeah, come on. <laughs> yeah, you yeah. taught me this. Yeah. And she is gone. And then I told my oldest daughter, all right, now when Aaron graduates, that's when you graduate. Hmm. Both of y'all will be leaving at the same time. And my wife and I are going to be empty nesters. Yeah. I'm 47. My wife is 47. I mean, we're going to be empty nesters. And I want to value this time I do have more yeah. girls. Yeah, come on. Yeah. So there are people that's complaining about the pandemic and we're not being in church, Pastor. Can I be honest with you? <laughs> Don't y'all judge me. Hey, I'm trying not to complain hmm. because I'm taking care of two sick parents. I have international responsibilities with my job. I have a church that I'm the least shepherd of, but I also work with the board. I have my wife, and I still have my daughters. Hmm. That's six different lanes. So while you guys are doing everything you're doing, I'm at the hospital making sure the doctors take care of my mother. Yeah. My dad just got diagnosed with prostate cancer, plus he has dementia. I got to make sure all of his meds are right. I'm calling the hospitals. I'm meeting with the doctors. At the end of the day, I only get one father and one mother. Come on now. So when they die, God could call me home first, but chances are they may leave before me because of their poor health. I want to be able to stand in front of their casket and say, I've done everything, everything as a son. Yes, I love my church well, but I love my family first. Because everybody in the church, don't y'all stop giving, Global, because stop giving at any time. Mm. Because the first place they cut is the church. That's right. Let's just be real. Yeah. Right? I get it. I've been there, done that. But when it's all said and done, you stop giving, you walk away, and we shut the doors of the church because we're a new church plant, three years old. I'm going home to my family. Come on now. Come on. I'm not going to lose Come that. On. Come on. You're not going to lose that. <laughs> no. You're not putting I've seen that on pastors the line. that I know personally, three and four heart attacks. Yeah. After pastoring four, 40 years, uh, brain aneurysm, the list goes long. So when I left my old church, Willing Workers Baptist Church, greatest pastor in the world, you better say that about your pastor, <laughs> Yo, <no>. James Carrington. <laughs> he would say, son, take care of yourself. You're never going to please people. Your suit ain't right. Your haircut ain't right. You mispronounced a word. You didn't do this right. He said, but at the end of the day, you love your family. That's it. You be the man. Can I say it this way? Mm -hmm. My grandfather would say, the main. You yeah. be the main in the house. Yeah. You lead your family because when it's all said and done, people going to go home. Now, Pastor, now, that is, uh, and I, if you can loop that over and over again, <laughs> um, that, that is important because, you know, I try to, I try to, uh, I say this all the time to the Church of Bethel's family. I try to take the aha moments away from people. Mm -hmm. And I share with people all the time, don't believe nothing Pastor Holman has to say. Whatever my wife tells you, you believe that. Believe that. <laughs> whatever my wife tells you, whatever that little redhead tells you, whatever my four kids tell you, that's what you need to believe. Because they know the person. Yes. See, you know the persona. You know the title. But see, they know the person. And if the person and the persona don't match up, that's a problem. 
If my wife, if I'm not loving my wife like Christ told me to love her, if I'm not putting her above, if I'm not making sure that she has everything that she needs, if I'm not sacrificing on behalf of my family, then I have no business telling other people to do the same. Correct. So when we're looking at our homes, everybody, I'm going to tell you this and I'm going to stand flat footed as I say it. Don't ever sacrifice your family. Don't ever sacrifice your kids on the altar of success for money, for prestige, for ministry. Don't you dare sit there and tell me that God told you to leave your wife and God told you to put more uh, more time in your ministry than he does in your family. Don't you dare tell me that because there is no biblical basis for that. Your family is important. And when we're looking at the ills of today, you can trace a lot of those issues back to somewhere in the family. Somewhere there's a splinter in the family that now turned into this huge crack. And I believe right now it is appropriate as pastors, and not just pastors, let's just say as fathers, as husbands, just as men, period, that we need to put a lot more attention on what the family unit is and the value that it provides. Listen to you. Uh, I think the Holy Spirit took me back to Deuteronomy chapter 6. So in verse 4, this Shema, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God. The Lord is one. You should love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. These words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart. Here we go, verse 7. You shall teach them diligently to your sons. Yeah. And shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when when you you rise up, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand. They shall be on your frontals of your forehead. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. He's talking to the men and leaders. Hmm. It's your job to do that. Thank God that my wife will do that. But I can't lay that all on my wife. Come on now. (laughs) <laughs> no, I'm gonna pull my girls to the side and say, yeah. "Hey, Daddy, love you." Yeah, I don't mean <laughs> I'm gonna get in trouble. So, <laughs> my my daughter was dating this guy, and I just didn't agree with it. And Pastor, I'm not gonna bite my tongue. You do yeah. what you want to, <laughs> yeah. right? Yeah. I just said, "Baby, you need to be careful." No, Daddy, good. I said, "Listen to Daddy, Daddy, no." Um, um, you may want to be careful. Now I'm cleaning it up. <laughs> Just no, Daddy, you're talking about somebody's son. I said, I'm not disrespecting him. He's not my son. You are my daughter. You want to be careful. About six months later, everything I told her, she said, man, you was right. How do you know? I said, because it's my job to be your dad. Hmm. I'm not perfect. Everything I say won't come out the right way. I'm going to honor you and I'm going to love you, but I'm going to father you too. Yeah, but I'm going to father you. I'm going to father you. And then the day of my death, you can stand in my cat and say, man, my dad told me the truth. Now, some of it is a lot of my opinions, too, yeah. right? <laughs> but it's still, I'm giving you truth. Yeah, yeah. Based off of my tread wear on my tires, yeah. my longevity of life, as short as it is, it's 47. But, baby, you're just 28. Baby, you're just 17. I've seen more. So I can't put that on Pastor James Carrington, my pastor, to do that for me. Hmm. He has his own family. That's right. And that's where we're missing the mark. That's it right there. Now, some of this, I don't want to put all the blame uh, on segregation and slavery, right? Mm-hmm. But in those days, there was a plan to destroy the family unit. Absolutely. Right? Absolutely. <laughs> so Separate we, the family. Separate the family. Take Buck That's and move exactly Buck right. away from the family. That's exactly right. We're going to take Mama and move Mama over. I t- I'm going to get in trouble today. And we're going to put Mama over here. We're going to take the kids and sell them off. And that was the destruction of the African-American family. But we can't just lay it there because at some 
point, we have to take ownership and responsibility as a people. But you see the, but you see the manipulation and the power that even the slave owners knew about breaking up families. Yes, they yeah. knew that if I can just splinter this family, I got generations of slaveries, maybe not in physical form, but in mental. If I can just take daddy away from the house, take mama away from the house, strip the kids away, I can create memories that will last for generations. And those memories will be carried on to my kids and my kids, 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 kids. We see this happening right now in, in front of us. In 2020. Yes. yes. You see people that have seen stuff over and over and over again. That's all they see. And guess what you see happening? You see their kids talking like that. Yes. See, no. I was mad at the child until I saw the parent. Yes. Yes. See, how could a child be thinking like that? How could a child talk like that? Okay, well, it made sense when I saw the parent. So when we're looking at what's going on right now in this particular era, in our era, Pastor, I, I want to um, circle back around to something that we said um, a little bit earlier. Um, and I know this is a hard perspective, as we've talked about here on Studio B uh, a lot of times. Our international travels have so enriched our lives spiritually, practically, uh, for a love of people from whatever race, whatever color, creed, um, because we've been able to see something outside of America, it has enhanced our worldview and how we look at people, how we engage with people. Uh, you've traveled just as much as I have. Mm -hmm. um, speak about how your international travels have kind of shaped your view of people and your view of the world. So it's, it's basically shaped, my wife and I was just having this conversation Sunday. It has shaped a lot of who I am becoming because I had one view prior to my international work and now God is using the international call to make me a better shepherd, a better father, as well as a better man. Um, I cannot shake this one uh, scene I had, have in my mind. I'm in Cuba, and we're walking by this church, and there's a homeless lady outside the church. She's inviting me in. She's doing evangelism. No teeth, hmm. matted hair, had a little older tour, clothes just, I mean, it was bad. But she was inviting me, you need Jesus. You know Jesus? And I was like, okay, so it doesn't take much to evangelize. Mm. Just a willing heart, an open mouth, and some guts. <laughs> I mean, come on. So mm. spiritual fortitude. So she said, hey, you, I said, no, I've already trusted Christ as Savior. Oh, God bless you. Come in. So I keep walking, and I walk around the corner, and there is a trash heap in the middle of the street. There's holes all in the street. And I look to my right, there's a lady sitting on her, her front porch, and she's just happy. Praise God. Hallelujah. Santos. She's saying all this in Spanish. And I'm like, mm. she has the audacity to praise God. And there's like a trash heap in front of her home with a million flies. There's a stench. Look at the street itself. There are holes in the street. And I got convicted. Uh, January, I was in Cuba again. So I've been to Cuba three times in the last uh, 16 months. We're in the church, and it was a church full of coaches, men. And we're playing the music, and they're just celebrating. Hallelujah, gloria a Dios, everything in Spanish. But the music, the sound system, wasn't the best. Mm. The organist, yeah. <laughs> you've been there. Yeah. Uh, he missed a few notes. Yeah. But I got convicted. Yeah. Because I'm sitting in the back, and I'm like, oh, 
but every man in that church dancing and praising God. Yeah, and on. I said, wait a minute. We're trying to build bigger churches in the U.S. We want the music to be right. We need the spirit of God. We need the anointing. You know, all mm -hmm. that stuff we say, all that good church language to have church. I didn't see none of that. And I said, man, when I get back, I better be careful that I'm not investing more in buildings than in people. Mm. But you see that internationally. I was in uh, Guatemala, El Salvador, and we are in another trash heap. And I said, where are we going, man? I mean, look at all this trash. We're going to church. I said, uh, church? No, this is like a, a dumpster. No, church is right around the corner. We go around the corner. We get to the church. There's about 50 people. You see people coming. The church is made out of trash bags. Mm. Come on now. And black tarp. <laughs> Come on. Right? Lord. So I'm like, wait a minute. We haven't. <laughs> and this is where you get convicted, mm -hmm. right? I said, wait a minute. We have a church out here? We get there, and I look down at the seats, and, I, and I've repented and asked God for forgiveness of all this because it was new. I'm like, um, can we get some clean seats? Um, anybody have any uh, uh, wet towels? <laughs> <laughs> but I saw the pastor's wife weeping that I had come to join them at church. Mm. She was more concerned about a soul come on. coming to church yeah. versus padded pews. Come on. A nice sound system. And I got stories for days like that. So that's starting to shape who I am. Because not all, but most pastors in the States, I don't say American anymore because I got checked on that too. Mm -hmm. Most pastors in the States, we're worried about butts, mm -hmm. budgets, and buildings. Mm. The three Bs. Nine times out of ten, internationally, they're worried about souls. That's it. And I had an international uh, pastor tell me this. He said, man, I come to the church in the United States. It's amazing how much you guys get done without the Holy Spirit. Come on, man. <laughs> yeah. Come on, man. When internationally, they literally depend on the Lord for everything. Now, again, people can't really understand this dynamic because maybe they have not gone to the places that we've seen. But it is so um, enriching in so many different levels. Uh, I bring it to the place to where I look at the wards in all of America, uh, all of America. Um, you know, everything that's going on in America, mm -hmm. take good and bad. Then I'll ask the question, where else would you rather be? Here. <laughs> where else would you? Here. Listen, would you, you want to go to Haiti with me? You want to go to Africa? You want to go to India? Where, no. Tell me where you want to go. Trust me, here. And this is, I had a good pastor of mine. Uh, I serve on a, a couple of different boards. I serve on a, uh, FCA, Fellowship of Christian Athletes, and I serve on uh, Living Waters. And we had a, a gentleman by the name, we call him Pastor David D. Mm -hmm. And his guy is from Ghana. And he had his first trip over to America last year. So we're hosting him. And we're taking them to a lot of large churches here in Houston. Won't name any names. Uh, but he's from Ghana. And uh, we're taking him around and we're showing him all the lands. We take him up to 610. We took him to uh, the Galleria. Mm -hmm. So he's walking through the Galleria and his mouth is just on the floor. And then we went to a particular church right there off of 610. Uh, we're in the, the meeting room, got lunch, got Jason's Deli, got all the little nice stuff. And he said something almost similar to what you just said. And it shook the room, Pastor. He said, I'm amazed at what you guys can build without God. 
as quiet as it is right now? Is that quiet? <laughs> yes. As quiet as it is right now, you could have heard a pin drop. And he got up to explain. He said, in America, you guys pray for the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. He said, in Ghana, we need the Holy Spirit. Big difference. Like, we need him. He says, and this is, if, if, if I could channel Pastor David D. right now, he says, every day we wake up saying, God, provide our daily substance. Yeah. Every day. Uh-huh. He said, we don't wake up that day just assuming that things are going to be given to us. He says, but I'm sitting around a table with all of this food. <laughs> I mean, just food upon food. <laughs> this is in a church. Yeah. And he's sitting there like, what is going on? Now, if you've never been to places where you've been able to experience that, and this is where we, this is, this is the combination of, of why I'm saying this. Everybody, America is blessed. And it's not blessed because it's so prosperous. Um, it's blessed in the sense that it has opportunities that are ill afforded in other places in the world. Your right to believe, your right to assemble, your right to do this, your right to get a business, to own a home, to buy a car, to buy those kind of things that we enjoy every day in America that we oftentimes take for granted is not the same everywhere else. It's not the same. And until you get that 30,000, what I call a God view, you're able to do what you said and stop complaining. Listen, we may have some issues. But where else you going to go? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, uh, let me end with this real quick. Uh, I was in El Salvador, got back, telling my daughter about the trip. My daughter, the youngest one, was seven at the time. I'm like, hey, I seen this. She didn't care. Pastor, she didn't care one bit. The next day, Daddy, can I get some J's? J's? What you need Jordans for? Kids in El Salvador. As soon as I got that out of my mouth, boom, she was gone out the house. Hmm. She didn't care. She didn't see what I saw. That's right. Perspective. Perspective. We are in the greatest country Hmm. in the world Hmm. We have problems, but our God is still good. Perspective. Uh, wow, what a powerful word. Perspective. What a powerful, powerful word. Um, Pastor Eric, let me tell you, uh, brother, um, we met, uh, I guess it's been, what, three years now? At least. At least three years. Uh, our first meeting, my first meeting with this gentleman was at a Papa Do's, and I was introduced by a fellow minister. Um, and little did I know that uh, it was going to bring forth the fruit of this relationship. And I am um, so excited about how God works. Um, I do believe that the currency of the kingdom is relationships. Yes. And the more valuable relationships that you have in kingdom agenda, the more of God's kingdom can be extended. And so, uh, Pastor Eric, let me just give you a few uh, a few um, moments to give us a little bit of information on Global Outreach Community Church and also uh, some of your work with FCA. So Global Outreach Community Church is a new church. Uh, we are three years old as of last Sunday. So we praise, praise the Lord. God for praise the Lord. three years. Um, God just put this vision in my heart to uh, be a part of what he's doing in the local community by way of the body of Christ. And I was at one church for 21 years. Great church. But I would show up Sunday after Sunday, and there would be a restlessness in my spirit wasn't anything wrong with the vision of the church or the pastor. God was prodding me and moving me to step out on faith. Mm. So at that time, I wanted to put my resume in for a couple of churches. And this is my heart. But I wanted to uh, craft more of a multicultural setting for worship. So I met with a good friend, Pastor Icky Solomon. He said, hey, I got a question for you. 
Do you want to give birth or raise the dead? I was like, what? He said, listen to what I'm asking you. Do you want to give birth or raise the dead? He said, both are miracles, but they're different. I said, well, shoot, I want to raise the dead. He said, well, submit your resume. Mm. I said, well, no, I want to give birth. He said, well, develop a church mm. because now you can craft the identity of the church, the That's culture right. of the church, the, DNA? the vision of the church, the mm -hmm. DNA. He said, you may want to give birth because if you submit your resume and you get elected or selected as the next pastor, it may, may take you seven to ten years yeah. just to infuse your vision yeah. in the people. That's not how pastor did it. Yeah. So now you have to preach, pray, and love folks. Spread an inkling of the vision. So that's how we started. We started in my living room with 70 people, and God has blessed us. We are currently online, but we've been hosting church in what we call the Overlook Venue in Atascacita, northeast Houston part of town. And it's just a, uh, a great venue, uh, and we praise God for that. So we're three years old. Great people. We're more of a, a family church, so we see God adding families to our church. Amen. With FCA, I've been on staff with Fellowship. Now give us the uh, website and the information of Global Outreach. So Global Outreach, you, we are on all the social media platforms. Okay. And if you visit us at www.globaloutreachcc.org, you will find our website. Okay, praise the Lord. So you can visit us right there. Uh, as far as FCA, I've been on staff with FCA, wow, 16 years. Now, Pastor, I initially said five years and I'm out of here. I'm done. And I would have really missed what God wanted to do in my life if I'd have moved too fast. Yeah. So I started in FCA as the East Houston director for five years, uh, was promoted to the Greater Houston director, overseeing all of Houston for six years, and I've been in my current role for five years. I hope that adds up to 16. <laughs> mm -hmm. So with this role, it was all God ordained, God assignment, because the name of our church is Global Outreach. Well, God said, if you're going to have a global perspective, let me put you in a global ministry to give you a global vision mm -hmm. to understand the nuances of what global looks like. Yeah. So it's not just a U.S. mindset. Yeah. So now I have the yeah. best of both worlds. Best of both worlds. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Come on. This international experience. But this uh, local domestic experience. And we're now trying to marry the both. John 3.16, for God so loved the world. Um, God is a God of the world. I think in a lot of times in America, we think that we have a monopoly on God. Um, but God is truly a God of the world. And that perspective is something that I believe will enhance not only your spiritual component, but your life and whole. Um, and so, man, I want to just thank you, Doctor, because, um, you know, at the risk of sounding redundant, which I pray I don't, um, with all that is going on in our land, um, we have to be able to find what God says about it. Because, saints, that's the only way that you're going to be able to survive this. That's the only way that you're going to be able to have peace in your home. Um, that's the only way that you're going to be able to counteract the, the, the wiles of the devil. Um, even so much in our, in our home, Pastor, uh, me and my wife have very limited um, political discussions um, very limited pol uh, political discussions. I make sure that my four children are well-informed and that they have a balanced view of what's going on in the world. But I'm very, very particular because I know um, that that's one of the ways that we allow the enemy to come in. And I believe that a biblical worldview is the best worldview. 
um, not a democratic worldview or a Republican worldview or independent worldview or a black power, white power, whatever worldview that you want. I believe that a biblical worldview would suit us best. And so, Matt, I want to thank you um, for joining us here on Studio B, brother. You are a brother in the Lord. Uh, I love what God is doing in your life. Um, I love the mission work that you're doing. And I believe, I'm not a prophet, nor do I claim to be one. Speak it. <laughs> We're not going to name it and claim it and blab it and grab it. <laughs> Speak that thing. But God blesses those who have a heart like his. Mm. Uh, we know that here at Bethel's family with our shepherd, uh, Walter is Jr., when you, uh, the Bible says in the book of Jeremiah that I will give you shepherds mm. after my own heart. Um, make sure that your pastor has a heart like God. Yeah. And I believe that God's blessings will follow that. And so I want to thank all of those who are joining us. Thank you so much for uh, tuning in to this week's uh, episode of Studio B. Make sure that you like, follow, subscribe, go to our YouTube, hit that subscribe. Right to the right of that, there's a little bell. Make sure you click on that so that you don't miss one single episode here at Studio B. Man, we love you guys. We'll see you next week.